All right, we are in Luke chapter 16, and in verse 19 it says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar named Lazarus which laid, was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels. And preach about negative things all the times, but the truth is, you know, we do need both positive and negative preaching. You got to have both. And I want to use this most famous passage in the Bible about hell to just give us some reminders about things that we need to be reminded of. I, I will not be given any new revelations about hell today. Okay, if I, well, I did give you any new revelations about hell, it probably should make you a little bit nervous. Uh, I don't believe the Lord, you know, needed 2,000 years for me to show up before people learn the truth about the doctrine of hell. I'm not here to set the world straight and all this. Uh, I'm not here to change anything about what we believe. I'm just here to remind us of things that we probably all know and just understand there are there are things we need reminders of because they can just be kind of get into the back of our minds so much that we don't think about them. And the truth is, teaching on hell, remembering hell, it's kind of a motivator, isn't it? And we all need this. And so that's what I want to do today with this subject about hell. So the first thing we need to be reminded about hell when it comes to this subject is that the future is more important than the present. Or eternity is much more important than this moment. And folks, this is something that this generation has forgotten. This is the generation that's going to be the first generation to not leave a better world for their children. We have seen, I mean, our generation only thinks about today. We see that in every area. We see that in our government that just continues to just spend this country into bankruptcy, just going into debt, just deeper and deeper and deeper. And as long as things are okay today, you know, as long as there is peace and safety in our time, you know what, then everything's okay. But we are setting up the next generation for failure. That's been going on for a long time. We've seen that religiously in the, in the previous generation. That and I, I'm just going to tell you right now, I think a lot of this has to do with a lot of bad theology that came in the 70s, especially when it comes to eschatology, is everybody just kind of went into this defeatist mindset. That, well, you know, the Antichrist is coming anyway. So, yeah, the world's getting worse. We're seeing everything fall apart in our country. But isn't that what the Bible prophesies? But you know what? What if they'd have had that? What if they'd have had that attitude in the dark ages? What if that? What if they'd have thought about that in 1776, when King George is messing everything up? They'd have been like, "Well, you know, the Bible prophesies that we're you know, going to go into tribulation. There's going to be a one-world government and all that. I don't see any point in fighting this." You know what? What if they'd have had that attitude back then? And here we are, over 200 years later, and the Lord hasn't returned. But aren't we a whole lot better off today than we were back then? In a lot of ways. And you know what? We have, I, I, believe, I believe that just, that defeatist theology, it, I think it messed a lot of people up. I think we need to get back to thinking about the next generations, trying to build something for the future. I mean, even when you look at architecture and stuff, do you know they used to build things to last hundreds and hundreds of years? We don't do that today, do we? We do everything as cheap as we possibly can. I mean, it's like even our architects and the, our builders are planning on the rapture coming anytime. It's like, well, you know, 
by the time, you know, so yeah, that building is probably not going to last very long, but you know what? We won't be liable, you know, by the time it falls down, and maybe we won't even be here. We probably won't even be here. Amen. You know, and that's our generation. And I think it's sad. I mean, you know, if, if in, in Rock Falls, if all of a sudden we just, you know, everybody left here, 200 years from now, you probably wouldn't even be able to tell anybody ever inhabited this area. Because we don't build any, we don't make anything to last. It's just, it just kind of shows our mindset, and it shows in every area. We've got parents, their attitude is, well, I just got to keep them alive, until, fed and alive until they're 18. But wait a minute. Don't you understand, they're still going to have lives to live after that, and don't you want them to raise good grandkids? You know, don't you want them to continue serving the Lord? But we're only thinking about today. As long as, while our story seems like, you know, for ourselves, seems like such a long time, folks, in reality, it's not. It's, it, it's not at all. It's very short. James 4.14 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. But yet we are so focused on that little vapor, aren't we? You, and, and we don't even think about what happens after that life vanishes away. And it, folks, it's going to vanish away. You know, your life, in, rea- in, the, in, in the big scheme of things, it's not much more than a dash between two years on a tombstone. You ever thought about that? That's, that's your life. It's, there's not, it's, there's not much more to it. That's, that's mostly, there might be one inspirational saying about you on your tombstone. You know, it might have the name of your wife on there. It might have the name of your kids on there. But other than that, your life isn't much more than that. Bible says in Proverbs 27 verse 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You know, we do, we think we've got so much time ahead of us, but we don't know what could happen tomorrow. There's any, well, folks, anything can happen. They've literally got a show out there like a thousand ways to die or something like that. There are so many things that can kill you. It's, 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 it's crazy just how many things that can happen. In Luke 12, 7, uh, 16, says he spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good laid up, goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. And so, I mean, folks, what a sad story this is. You know, imagine, you know, being that, and maybe some of you are there where, you know, for years you worked waiting to get to this point of retirement. And it's probably seemed like forever. It took me so long to get to this point where I finally retired. And then you do. And then you get there. And that's where this guy is. He's there. And he's like, you know what? I did it. I got here. I've got enough stuff. I'm, my future is settled. It's secured. And you know what? I'm just going to enjoy the rest of my life. He had been thinking and focusing on this life, taking care of things and this life. But one thing he neglected, one thing he forgot about is his soul. And here he ended up there and he's got something going on in his body he doesn't know about. He's got a heart condition. I don't know, something that he doesn't know about. And God just says to him, now fool, 
You finally did it. You had your retirement party. But you know what? Your soul's required tonight. And you're not even going to get to enjoy those things. And folks, even if you would have got to enjoy those things for 20 or 30 years, in the big scheme of things, who cares? You know, this is a tragic story, humanly speaking, even if there is no eternity, even if there is no heaven and hell, it's still a sad, a sad story that a guy devoted his life to get to this point and then never got to enjoy it. But even if he did get to enjoy it, it's equally a sad story. Because at the end of the day, eternity is what's more important. Eternity is what's really matter, what really matters. And so I imagine the time for both the rich man and Lazarus probably seemed like forever. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us how long or how old the rich man was when he died or Lazarus. But, you know, it probably seemed like a normal life. They probably both lived longer than a lot of us. Probably both of them lived longer than, than I've lived so far. But at the end of the day, look how fast we read their story. It's, you know, it, except in, when it comes to eternity, it's really nothing. Even when it comes to just the history of mankind, it's not really anything. And look at and, and here's the thing. We know the current state of both of these men today. Because they do both still exist. And so in Luke 16, verse 25, it says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And it came to pass, uh, or so right there we see that, you know, he now Abraham's talking to this this rich man, and he's saying, you know what? During your life, you had everything you wanted. It was good, but now. This is how it is now. Things have changed now. The tide has turned now, and you know what? It's not good. We see in verse 22, or verse 23, it says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Folks, that was his now that Abraham was talking about. That is his now, right now. This is his eternity, being in torments. We see he sees Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom, being comforted, being consoled, unlike the rich man who is being tormented, where things are being done to him to bring him punishment and to bring him pain. He sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. That's not a place. That's an actual thing happening to him. Here he's getting a hug. Another one's getting tormented. That's, that's the difference. That's the contrast that we see going on right there. We see that while Lazarus was on earth, he was someone who was a beggar. He was someone begging to the rich man. And you know what? That lasted probably for several years. Who knows exactly how long that lasted. But now we see the rich man begging. Look what he says. He says, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. He's probably thinking, you know, I did all that stuff for Lazarus while I was on earth. Surely now he can come and just give me a drop of water. He's now, he's now looking to Lazarus. Where on earth, Lazarus looked to that rich man as this guy is the only one I you know, have any hope of surviving from, of getting anything good from. But you know what? In hell, the roles had reversed. Now he's looking for Lazarus to just come, just give him a drop of water. Just, just give me something. People are probably often asked, why did he only want the drop of water? 
I think it's probably because he figured that's all that he should get from Lazarus because he would only give Lazarus the crumbs when he was on earth. I, I, don't, I don't know for sure. But either way, he just wanted whatever he can get. He wanted any kind of, any kind of comfort he could possibly get. And he said, but Aram said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And I think this is interesting too because you have the rich man who is expecting some kind of good from Lazarus because of the good that he did for Lazarus. And you know, that's how a lot of people are with heaven and hell. They think, what you do on this earth, you know, all these good things are going to affect things in eternity. But folks, it's, it's not about that. It's about faith in Christ. And that's it. You're either going to heaven or hell. And you can try being good. You know what? He, and he did. He tried cashing in on some of his good works, didn't he? But did it do anything for him? Folks, all these people doing their good deeds, doing their alms, doing all that stuff that they do, thinking this is going to help me out. In the future, it's not going to matter. You know what Abraham said? Hey, you got your good things in life. And you know what? These people who do their good deeds on earth, thinking it's going to help them in the future, it's only going to help them on earth. It'll give you your tax deduction on earth. It'll make people look at you and think positively about you on earth. It'll make you look good on social media when you film yourself, you know, giving some bum 20 bucks. It, you know, that's your good that you're going to get. But understand, when eternity comes... You can bring that stuff up all you want. You're getting shut down. You got your good on this earth. That's what he's showing them right here. Folks, this is, this is just a reminder. You're not cashing in on anything. If, if you're not saved, you're saved, the only thing that is going to get us anything in eternity is the blood of Christ. That's, the, that's what we've got to focus on. And so in verse 26, he, said, you know, he tells him his new state. He is comforted. Thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And I like that, folks. If you're over on that other side, you can't get over there. That's just a reminder, too. When you go to heaven, you're there for eternity. And you, you can't get to hell. And you, but you know what? The bad side of that, if you're in hell, there's no point where you're getting out of there and getting into heaven. And so, folks, we need to be reminded that hell is forever. It is a forever thing. And I don't like that. Okay? I wish I could join the Seventh-day Adventists and teach annihilationism. I wish I could do that. But they're wrong. I would prefer that that be the truth. I'll just tell you that right now. I don't, I'm not holy. Okay? I don't have the righteous judgment of God. I don't have the ability to do that. All I can do is believe what the Bible says and unfortunately, no matter what way you try to spin it, I can't, I can't make hell not be forever. I can't. It says in Revelation 20, verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Here we are a thousand years later after these two men, the beast and the false prophet, they're men. After they get cast into hell, a thousand years later, it says this is where they are. Not where they were. Annihilationism, it, it, it's like you, know, you, don't, you don't exist anymore. You're gone. But no, they're still there. A thousand years, a thousand years later. We're not even going to go into all the scriptures on that. 
But we've got to understand, there's no second chances after death. It says in Hebrews 9.27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And folks, we are reminded that the only chance of surviving judgment is if our sins are not brought up. That's the only way. That means if I'm going to, if my sins are not going to be brought up, I've got to have an advocate. I've got to have an intercessor. I've got to have a mediator. Jesus Christ is the only one. And thankfully for those who put their faith and trust in him, those who have looked to Jesus Christ as their high priest, we see that when he offered up himself, God imputed our trespasses to him. So when we stand before God, understand We've all sinned, but our sins have been dealt with. They were dealt with on the cross by Jesus Christ. Now, those who reject the, uh, the free gift of salvation, those who je- reject the atonement of Christ, they are going to have to stand before God, and they are going to have to give an account for their sins. And folks, if God allowed His Son to go through what he went through. What do you think he's going to do to you if you stand before him and have to be punished for your sins? And let me just say this too. Let me just kind of throw in this bonus point too. You know, people often, they, 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 they like to argue about, you know, what the payment for sins was. Was it the cross or was it hell? And let me say that the penalty for sin is death. Jesus, I believe, bore our sins on the cross. He carried our sins on the cross and it killed him. And then what people try to do, they try to cram an eternity of hell into three days. Did you know you don't have to do that? You don't have, you know, you don't have to do that. And let me tell you why. Because the wages of sin is death. Now, here's why death is so bad. First off, because you're in hell. But also, we can't get out of death. If you die and go to hell, you can't resurrect from that. You can't come back from that. So understand, even though Jesus died and was only there for you know, three days, it was the exact same penalty. But the difference is he conquered death. You and I can't do that. So don't, don't try to act like, no, the punishment for sin is eternity in hell. No, that's the result of it. It's death. And death is just bad for us because we can't get out of it. And you know what? If you want to go to hell and try, you can. Good luck. You're not going to get out. But Jesus did. Paid the exact same penalty, carried our sins on the cross, and he died. But he, unlike anybody else, conquered death rose from the dead three days later. So you know what? I don't have to cram an eternity in there. He was only there for three days. He paid the penalty, death, just like, just like every other sinner, just like that rich man. Yeah, but the rich man's been there for over 2,000 years now. Well, if he could rise from the dead, you know, he'd be fine too, but he can't. He doesn't have that power. Only Jesus Christ had that power. So we don't need to do weird things theologically, you know, in... He, he paid the exact same penalty. He just conquered death. So 
Another thing we need to be reminded of, reminded of is that hell is righteous judgment ordained by God. Okay? Hell might this is and this is one of the things, you know, we do we see hell as a bit excessive. We see it as a bit extreme. And you know what? Why wouldn't we as sinful people? You know we're all pretty uh forgiving when it comes to people who have the same issues that we do. You know, we're pretty judgmental on against people who have problems that we don't have. But when they have problems we have, boy, we get merciful real quick, don't we? That's just a part of who we are. And so as people deserving of hell, worthy of hell, you know, why wouldn't we feel that way a little bit? But folks, we're not holy. We're not God. We have a distorted view of judgment in a lot of areas because of our sin nature. And I'm not going to get up here and pretend I understand all these things, but I do know that God is righteous, that God is holy, and that hell is not wicked. Can we stop saying wicked is hell? It's not wicked. It's, okay? Wicked means lawless. This is the righteous judgment of God. Okay? It's as righteous as... Oh, that, sounds a little, that, that sounds a little pushing if you say it. But that would be more accurate. Don't go around saying that. Please. Don't go around saying that. People get the wrong idea. But it would be more accurate. Okay? I know what people are mean. You're just trying to sound hardcore and extreme. Blah, blah, blah. All right? But you're technically wrong. And then we wonder why people think hell is so bad. You know, well, you've been telling, you're saying that person's as wicked as hell. That, that, that's the message you're sending, all right? Let's not be confusing on our terminology. We've thrown other people in hell for bad terminology on other things. So let's not throw them in, you know, let's, let's not go using bad terminology ourselves. But Matthew 25, 41 says, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This was a place that God made. God made it. God prepared it. God prepared it for the devil and his angels. But those who have sinned, they are under the curse. You know, the Bible says the curse causes shall not come. If somebody gets cursed and they have to die and go to hell, did you know that it was righteous for God to do that to them? It was righteous for God to send them there. It's always good. It's always righteous. But the devil has successfully lied and just twisted the thinking of so many people on this subject. And this is this is the thought he puts in everyone's mind. This, okay, you've all thought this before. I've thought it before. But this is, this is the thought he puts in our mind. And that is, you know, would a righteous and loving God really torment people for all eternity just for not believing? You know, while letting uh, someone else go to heaven for all eternity just for believing? I mean, sometimes there's saved people that are more sorry than some lost people that I know. There's a lot of people like that. And there, there's no doubt about it. It's like, that doesn't seem a bit excessive, right? But you know, this is an example of an unfair question that actually distracts from the real issues. You know, there's, there is such a thing as stupid questions. There are some th- such a thing as unfair questions. That your question, it sends a message that's false. And so your, your question is kind of irrelevant. And while we've all asked that question probably in our minds before, we do need to understand it's an unfair question that shows a wrong thinking because the real question we should be trying to answer is, you know, what kind of loving God sends his own son to die in the place of sinful man? What kind of son willingly offers up himself as a sacrifice? What kind of person lives a perfect life on earth, does miracles for people, only to allow those same people to turn on him, 
spit on him, put him on a cross, mock him, crucify him. What makes that person go and still conquer death for them? What kind of, what, what kind of person gives people salvation for free and then they kind of take advantage of that grace and still don't live very good lives and let them keep that salvation? You know, these are the real questions we should be asking. This is what we really should be talking about. And here's the other question we should be asking. What kind of person rejects a gift like that? What would make, what would make you turn that down? You know, because God has proven before he's serious about judgment and mercy. And you know what it always is that makes a, makes a difference? It's the blood. He gave us a picture of this back in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12. The Jews had no excuse for rejecting this gift of salvation. They had no excuse. God gave them a picture and an example before that they celebrated every year on the Passover. And in Exodus 12, 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you, when I smite the land of Egypt. Folks, the only difference between houses that were hit and houses that were skipped was the blood of a lamb. What kind of message do you think he was trying to send right there? Something, and you don't understand, a lamb had to die so the people, someone in that house wouldn't have to die. And you know what? Jesus Christ, he did. He died and his blood, when God sees that in our life, he passes over us when it comes to wrath. When it comes to judgment, he passes over us. Why? Because that blood is a reminder that judgment already came. Because guess what, folks? God's still angry about sin. God is still angry about sin. And understand, there's seven vials that are filled up with the wrath of God sitting up in heaven that he's going to pour out on this earth one of these days. But you know, before he does that, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go check for those who the blood has been applied to in their life, and they're going to be taken out of this world before those vials can be poured out. Why? It's the same picture that we see of the Passover. Why? Because when he sees that blood, he knows judgment's already come. Judgment's already come. And those of us who have trusted in Christ, our sins have already been paid for. So we don't have to understand everything about judgment. But, you know, it makes no sense to reject a free gift paid in full just because you don't like the outcome of those who reject it. Because isn't that what people often do? Uh, I don't want to believe in a God like that. I don't want to trust in a God like that. I think that's, I think that's too extreme. I think that's, I think that's too mean. But folks, you know, that, is, that, is, that doesn't make any sense. I think you just don't believe it. I think if you really, truly believed that tonight, if you didn't have blood on your doorpost, of a lamb, that you were going to die, you know what, you'd put that blood on there, wouldn't you? But what people do, they will say all these things. I can't believe God would do that, but folks, they just don't believe him. That's what it comes down to. They have an evil heart of unbelief. We, and we see in Luke chapter 16, verse 27, the rich man speaking says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore... Uh, father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place 
of torment. You know what else we're reminded of? We're reminded that we still have loved ones even after we are dead. But you know what? Now is the time we can do something about it. This guy didn't quit worrying about his brothers just because he was dead. He still was worried about his brothers. And I think it's interesting. That, you, know, you know, I'm not trying to read anything into this. But I think it's interesting that he said, send Lazarus. It almost makes me wonder if Lazarus might have tried witnessing to him before. You know, because if I was in hell, I wouldn't ask him to send somebody that never witnessed to me. Because then how would I know they're even going to witness to them? You know, chances are this guy, Lazarus, even though he was in pretty bad shape, even though he was an outcast in Israel because of his leprosy, you know what? He was still telling somebody about the Lord. And he did. He wanted Abraham to send Lazarus because he still cared. He still wanted good for his family. And you know what? Your family that you love right now, now is the time you can actually do something about it. And that, this is a reminder, folks. This is a reminder. We need to think about our loved ones. It says in verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And folks, right here, he thinks these guys would believe if they saw a miracle. He was wrong because Jesus did a whole bunch of miracles. Jesus even rose from the dead and they still didn't believe, did they? In fact, Jesus even raised a man named Lazarus from the dead, which made him want to kill him even more. So so think about that. You know, this guy was wrong. There's a lot this guy didn't understand. He obviously was a wicked man. And unbelief is a result of a wicked heart. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. An evil heart is what it it calls it there. We see in John 3.18, says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, here's the other thing you've got to understand, too. This is why that question is unfair about why would God torment people in hell. Here's what you've got to understand. Eternity in hell is righteous and fair judgment on sinners. That's what you have to understand. And it's not a matter of of God's up in heaven and just saying, I'm going to torment you for rejecting my son. Right here, Jesus said, you're already condemned. Your sin is what condemned you. You say, well, God's throwing us in hell. I get it, but God has to because God has to be holy. God, there are some things God cannot do. God cannot be unjust. God cannot be unrighteousness. God, uh, unrighteous. God cannot, or he cannot be righteous, unrighteous. God cannot be sinful. And so when you sin, you left him no choice but to either cast you into hell or send his son to pay for your sins. And he did send his son to pay for your sins. So you can't, you can't sit there getting mad at God because of the fact that there's a hell. God can only do that which is good and right. See, in your twisted thinking... You think what would be right is letting everyone get off. That's what you think. But you're just wrong. You're wrong about that. That's coming from your wicked heart. The real reason people don't get saved is because their deeds are evil. And he goes on to say, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world 
And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So understand, God did his part. God has done everything that he is able to do and still maintain his righteousness and his holiness. God has done everything that can possibly be done for everyone to be saved. He's done everything that can possibly be done. That could possibly be done. It's, but God does give us a free will. God does give us a choice. And when people, when they turn away from that light, it's because their deeds are evil. When they reject that free gift of salvation, it's because they have an evil heart of unbelief. There's something twisted and there's something wrong in your heart when you can have that light shown to you and for you to just turn away from it and reject it. There's something that you've got going on. There's something evil that you have and there's something evil that you love that you're not willing to just even allow the truth and allow light to be shined on it because you enjoy it so much. And I'm here today to tell you, I don't believe a person has to turn from their sins to be saved, but I do believe if you're saved, you're not going to be able to enjoy your sin like you did before. You're not going to be able to. It's not going to be the same anymore. And people are like, I don't want that. And so you know what? You can have your good things. You can have your sin while you're here on this earth, but eternity's coming. Eternity is coming. And so you know what? We should make sure we never, ever stop talking about hell because there is some things that hell does for those who are in it and for those who aren't in it. I, I just talked to another elderly preacher uh, just a week or two ago that uh, was real close to me when we started the church. He's in pretty bad health right now. And he preached a, he preached a message here called uh, What Hell Has That the Church Needs. And he talked about that uh, one of the points that he made was just that desire to see souls saved, which is what the rich man had. What's he, what, what did he do when he was in hell? He's like, I want my family to get saved. He, he was thinking about the souls of others. And so we see... You know, for when, when he's in hell, also, he's able to see Lazarus being comforted. While he's got, you know, I don't know, while he's being tormented, whether it's just from the flames, whether it's demons or devils tormenting, I don't know. What does he see going on with Lazarus? He sees him being hugged and embraced by Abraham. He sees him in Abraham's bosom. And you know what? Whenever we talk about hell, if you're saved, it's a reminder about what you missed. And you know what? That makes me feel pretty good. Okay? I know talking about hell can bring us down in one way, but it can also lift us up thinking, I'm not going there. I'm, I wish I knew the song right now. I could sing, I'm not going to hell. I knew all the words. We can trigger the Calvinists with it. They get, all, they get so upset by that song. Folks, they get so mad watching people sing a song, whooping and hollering and excited, saying, I'm not going to hell. It's like, have you ever read Luke 16? I think you should be excited. You think you're not going to hell, but you're not excited about that? You're offended by people excited about not going to hell? You know what? You probably should run a lap you sing a song like that. I mean, it ought to at least make you want to do a lap. I know we're too dignified up here north of the Mason-Dixon line to do that. But at the same time, I mean, th th that should excite you. We miss that. But you know what? For those in hell, they're also reminded about what they missed. As they can see what's going on in heaven. And we see in the book of Revelation, 
that you know the those who are cast in the lake of fire are in the you know um, that it's in the presence of the Lamb and of the holy angels. I don't understand how that works. I don't understand how hell's in the heart of the earth, but we can see it in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. We see both. We see both things mentioned in the Bible, but we also see that it's a reminder to us to warn others. But for those in hell, this causes hopelessness because they can't do anything about it, but we can. So it's the exact same thing. Talking about hell reminds us of what we missed. But that's good for us. It's bad for them because they missed heaven. It's also, it motivates us to want to tell others just like it does them, but they can't tell anyone. You understand? They can't tell anyone. And they would give anything to be able to tell people about hell. But you know what? We actually can tell people about hell. And I think talking about hell, that's a good motivator to make you go out, you know, on a day when, you know, maybe the weather's not the greatest. You know, we're going to be in the hot season pretty soon. It's like, you know what? You don't mind sweating a little bit to help keep somebody out of hell. it's, It's worth it. And, you know, and just kind of a bonus point that we see that this rich man immediately thought of his brothers. And I do believe our family should be the first people that we try witnessing to, just like he immediately thought of his family. But you know what? We all know a prophet is not without honor, saving his own country and among his own brethren. Sometimes family is the hardest to win. I would still definitely try it first, and I would want them the most. But you know what? It, and I'm thankful, you know, all my fam- my you know close family is saved. I'm thankful for that. You know, I've got distant relatives and things that aren't saved, and I, I obviously do care about them very much. But you know what? If I couldn't get my family saved, you know what my plan would be? It would be to get as many other people as I possibly could saved. Just hoping maybe God would see me winning other people's family. It's like, you know what? I'm going to get somebody to his family. Or maybe you might not be able to reach him, but somebody else might be able to. That's what I, that, you know, that, that's what I would do. Uh, are you saying that for sure is going to work? I don't know. I can promise you this. You're getting people saved. You're not going to be getting God mad at you. Folks, God wants people to get saved. We were talking about it yesterday. You know, the last three big souling things we've had, it's been rain in the forecast up to, up to the day every single time. And you know what? We just plan on going out anyway and just seeing what happens. You know, we're not... And, Every single time, it stops raining for us. We had to eat first yesterday. That was okay. I was really hungry. That I think that worked out better. I think that I think that that worked out better for me. But folks, the weather was great. When we went out there. But you know what we did? We went out. And I was like, you know, we're gonna be going an hour and a half away. But we did. We planned a place to eat and something fun to do because I didn't want people to go out there for nothing. But this was the plan. We're gonna go out and we're either gonna go soloing or we're gonna go, you know, just do some fun things. Let's see if the Lord wants some people to get saved. Because I do. I just think God wants some people to get saved. And my attitude is, if God wants people to get saved, he's not going to let the weather stop us. Say, well, what if he does let the weather stop us? Well, that was the day we were going to get shot by a gangbanger or something, and God didn't want us to get killed because he wanted us to be able to go soloing on another day. You know, all I, all I, I, I know this, folks. God wants people getting saved. God wants people getting saved. And so we need to be doing whatever we can to just pull people out of the fire, tell people, uh, anybody that we can, 
about this free gift of salvation. It is the most important thing. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a motivator. Lord, I pray it didn't bring anybody down, but Lord, I pray it fired everyone up. I pray, Lord, that we will have uh, just a renewed uh, desire to win the lost, and I pray a renewed excitement about what we have missed. Lord, we're so thankful uh, that we're not going to that horrible place, and we're so thankful uh, that you uh, paid our sins in full and that we never have to worry about it. And Lord, I just pray you'll uh, just, uh, if there is one here maybe that isn't saved, Lord, or you're not, they're not sure, I pray they'll get these things nailed down in their life uh, so they can uh, have that peace and assurance of knowing they're going to heaven. In your name we pray. Amen.